0: today's class is on parshas chukas and it's going to we're going to be discussing the well of water that the Jewish people had when they were in the desert as well as the clouds of glory that surrounded them as they traveled through the desert and this is another fascinating analysis that the rebbe does on this subject and of course always brings out a very fascinating observation and lesson that we can learn and apply to our lives from what we learn about the clouds of glory in particular. So we know that the Jewish people, the Talmud actually tells us that the Jewish people had, we know there was a rock that uh, right at the beginning um, of the Jewish people's journey in the desert uh, Moses was instructed to hit the rock, which he did. Water came out and that became the water supply for the millions of Jews in the desert for 40 years. And we're, the Talmud tells us that the Jews merited to have this special, convenient supply of water in the merit of Miriam, Moshe's sister, who was a righteous prophetess. And the Torah tells and the Talmud tells us as well, That the clouds of glory which the Jewish people had, which surrounded them and uh, served uh, multiple functions, as as we'll discuss soon, um, for them, was there in honor of Aaron, Aaron, the brother of Moshe, who who, uh, who became the high priest. And we know, in fact, that after Miriam passed away, that the water ceased uh, to flow from the rock. And that was when there was a big, uh, as our as our as our Torah portion discusses, the Jewish people protested. What are we going to drink? And uh, there was a major upheaval that went on amongst the Jewish people, attacking Moshe. And that's when God told Moshe to speak to the rock. This was this is now at the end of the forty years, uh, when Miriam passes away, and, and and this time God tells Moses to speak to the rock, and. Uh, we won't be discussing the details of this story, but he ends up hitting the rock, which he was not supposed to do in this instance. Water does end up coming out. The water returned because of Moshe. That's what the Talmud tells us. And the Talmud tells us likewise that, that when Aaron passed away at the end of the 40 years, the, um, the, the clouds of glory went away and they returned in honor of Moshe, due to Moshe. What's interesting, the Rebbe observes, is this, that we know there's one of the most well-known stories in the Torah is the fact that the water stopped coming out of the rock after 40 years because Miriam passes away. And we know that the Jewish people, they became terrified. What are we going to drink? Are we supposed to die here in the desert from thirst? They protest against Moshe. Moshe turns to God. God tells him what to do. And, um, and eventually the water returns. But when it comes to the, uh, the clouds of glory... The Torah tells us nothing about the clouds leaving the Jewish people. It tells us nothing about Moshe restoring them to the Jewish people. Like, what happened? When did it happen? And why is it that the Jewish people didn't protest about the clouds of glory as they did about the water? Now, it's possible, the Rebbe hypothesizes, that possibly, maybe, one could suggest that the clouds, in fact, did not return. That while there, there may be the Talmud... Um, Shears a perspective that the clouds did return maybe in the simple understanding of the Torah the very simple understanding of the Torah The clouds didn't return the Jewish people were towards the end of their journey and we know what was the purpose of the clouds so firstly it protected them from the uh, tremendous heat uh, of the Sun which is w- which is very very dangerous in the desert So they had clouds above them that were protecting them from the heat they had the clouds were taught washed their clothing and also ironed their clothing so that's why through the, through the years in, de- in the desert, they never needed to make new clothing. And that's how their clothing was cleaned. Um, a third thing that the clouds did was it led the way for them. So there was a cloud in the front, a seventh cloud. There were six clouds around them on all six sides, the four sides and t- above them and below them. And then there was a cloud that went in front of them. And this cloud that went in front of them sort of paved the way. So therefore, it, um, it, it also flattened uh, high elevated areas and mountains. So that the jewish people would be able to travel um, and it also led them and let them know where to go so where did god want them to go so they had a, a gps system which was the cloud that led them and we also know that this cloud that, led, that was in front of them also killed um, any uh, deadly animals of which the desert is uh, is full of so this way it protected them from the from the many animals so possibly, here we are, the Jews or Jewish people are at the end of 40 years in the desert. They're already next to the land of Edom. They're right in Transjordan, ready to enter Transjordan, from which they would end up going into the land of Israel. So they're right near a civilization. Once you're near a civilization, firstly, um, Aaron passed away right in the middle of the summer, just a few days before the middle of the summer. Right after the middle of the summer, the heat begins to decline. So they no longer need the heat, the, the protection from the heat as desperately. But even more importantly, geographically, because they were on the outskirts of the desert already, next to civilization, the uh, the, the the oppressions of the desert were not uh, as oppressive. So possibly they no longer needed the the clouds for that purpose. They were now next to civilization. They can buy clothing, uh, so they don't no longer need the clouds of glory to uh, to 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 wash their clothing, make sure it grows with them, as we're told that the clothing grew with them. Um, Although that was that had nothing to do with the clouds of glory, that in fact that to agree with them. But now they were near civilization, so they can go to the to merchants there and buy clothing. <clears throat> and they were now in civilization. You have roadways, so they can follow the roadways. They no longer need the clouds of glory to actually lead the path for them. And once you come to civilization, we know that uh, while there there are much fewer wild animals and, and dangerous snakes and scorpions because you're in civilization and wild animals don't come to a place where people live generally speaking so therefore they would no longer need that protection so possibly on a very simple level and rashi who, um, rashi who's uh, who's the primary commentator on the torah his the purpose of his commentary as he as he states is to simply explain the story of the, the story of the torah or the information the torah is giving us the law the torah is giving us the simple understanding of it without getting very complex about it So it could be that Rashi just simply is letting us know that the clouds of glory didn't return. Um, And they didn't return because it was no longer needed. Very simple. But the Rebbe says that this really is not an an explanation, which is an acceptable explanation. And the reason why is because the Jewish people did need the clouds of glory to continue to protect them. Because firstly, um, they did need to know which way to go even if even if there are roadways which road should we take should we go to the right or go to the left the front cloud was the one which directed them on where to go another interesting thing which is important to know and and one of the beautiful things that the Rebbe does when he analyzes a a a situation in the Torah is that he brings every single detail and aspect into the story so that no stone is left unturned and the explanation that we come out with is a completely wholesome explanation Rashi tells us that after Aaron died, the Jewish people actually receded. They went back seven stops from where they had just traveled uh, from. So they actually went backwards seven stops, which means they went deeper into the desert, which would mean that they would need to be led out, out of the desert and that they were not as close to civilization at that time as well. Another very fundamental um, um, service that the clouds uh, offered was that the clouds protected the jewish people from their enemies and you may remember this when the jews left egypt and the egyptians were shooting uh, arrows at them it was the cloud of glory that caught them and and shot them back they were completely protected so there were still enemies around and as we're going to see in a moment um the vayishma hakanani the canaanites heard when they heard the torah tells us that the clouds of glory left the jewish people because aaron passed away they felt there was an opportunity now for them to attack, which they did. They attacked the Jewish people. So we clearly see that there are enemies who are still on the attack against the Jewish people. And the clouds also not only did it direct where they were going, the clouds also informed them of how long they should stay in one spot and when it's time to start traveling again. Because when the clouds would pick up, they knew it was time to travel. Now when the clouds would settle, they knew it was time to stop and to, and to settle in that in, in that spot they needed that information as well. <clears throat> and most importantly, that Rashi mentions in next week's Torah portion that the clouds uh mentions that there were clouds of um, that there were clouds following Aaron's passing. So we actually do know that the clouds didn't just go away, that the Jewish people still had the clouds even after Aaron passed away. And and we are taught that the, that the clouds left because Aaron passed away, but then they returned. So we're back to our question as to why there's no mention of how and when the clouds returned to the Jewish people, and why is it that the Jewish people didn't protest? They were very vulnerable. If the clouds protected them from their enemies, right? That for starters, uh, never mind all the other reasons we re- we, we mentioned of uh, the, the different purposes that the, that the, that the clouds uh, served, why didn't the Jewish people protest? So the Rebbe, through his analyzation, um, uh, um, brings out a very unique distinction that, to the common eye, we gloss over. We don't really realize the nuance. But when we pay, when one pays attention to every nuance, we begin to actually understand the stories of the Torah much more deeply. Rashi uses two terms, as as does the uh, the Medrash, uh, uses two terms when it speaks about the clouds that were that surrounded the Jewish people. It refers to them sometimes as Anani HaKavod. Anane HaKavod means the clouds of glory. And it refers to, some, to them sometimes as Ananim, which means clouds. Not clouds of glory, just clouds. And the Rebbe notices this distinction and notices that Rashi sometimes uses the term Ananim, just clouds, and sometimes uses the term anane HaKavod, clouds of glory. Why is that? Well, when we pay a closer attention, we notice something very interesting. And that is that there were clouds which were clouds of glory. What is the purpose of clouds of glory? Simply to demonstrate the glory God was bestowing upon his chosen people, upon the Jewish people. That the Jewish people are a glorified people and they're glorified by God. That they were simply clouds there as a representation from God of the glory of the Jewish people. And then there were clouds that were there for necessity, simply to serve certain vital purposes on behalf of the Jewish people as they went through the desert. When Aaron passed away, what are we taught? Which clouds left? It says the Anani HaKavod left. The clouds of glory left. It doesn't say all the clouds left. So there were still clouds. Of course there were still clouds. But they, and, and as Rashi mentions in the next week's Torah portion. And they still had all the needs that we listed um, to protect them from their enemies, to protect them from the sun, because they, they receded, etc., etc. But the uh, clouds of glory, that's what left the Jewish people when Aaron passed away. And the clouds of glory did not return. Now, we can understand why there was no protest. The Jewish people were safe and secure. It's nice to have glory, to be glorified by God. beautiful. But it wasn't, we see, well, when the Jewish people uh, um, protested and complained throughout the desert, it was always when they felt that their lives were in danger. Here their lives were in danger, there was no reason to protest. They have, uh, we can assume that they would have loved that the Clouds of Glory had been there, but as long as they had the clouds that were protecting them, that, that, that's fine. You know, it's, it, they don't need to start a rebellion or, or protest against Moshe. Now, also interestingly, parenthetically, there's a commentator called the Raim who asks a very interesting question. You know, we celebrate a holiday called Sukkot, and the holiday of Sukkot is where we sit in the huts outside, and the, the reason we sit in the huts is to commemorate the fact that we were surrounded when we went into the desert by and by clouds, anonim yaakovot, by clouds of glory. And he asks the question, well, if we had seven clouds leading us um, when we were in the desert, why is it that a sukkah doesn't require uh, six or seven, uh, you know, um, sides to be covered like we know that a sukkah is kosher if it has two and a half walls it doesn't even need three full walls for it to be kosher why is that and now we can understand why, why that is because the, the the uh the sukkah is a representation and a remembrance of the anani Hakavod, the the clouds of glory not the clouds of protection and and which were the clouds of glory So whenever there was a cloud that was not needed at any particular time, it remained with the Jewish people as a representation of glorifying the Jewish people. So so there, there weren't seven clouds which were clouds of glory. There were additional clouds which were not needed at any given time which were clouds of glory. And that's why we don't need all of the clouds that there were that led the Jewish people because most of them were for necessity. Only some of them we're for glory. So again, this all, um, w- when we have an explanation that begins to explain so many different areas of a story and uh, other areas of Torah, that's how we can see the wholesomeness and the truth of it. Sometimes we come up with an explanation, you know, it fills a pothole here, so to speak. It answers the question here, but it, it doesn't satisfy that question. So we say, okay, at least we, we, we made some progress. But to see the uh, an explanation which is so wholesome is really uh, is really very compelling. Now, um, the Rebbe also discusses this this um, this another point, another nuance in Rashi. You see, when Rashi discusses the idea that the Canaanites heard that the clouds of glory left the Jewish people, so they said, "Oh, we can attack the Jewish people." So Rashi explains. That they thought that God gave them, now that the clouds of glory left the Jewish people, God gave them reshus. Reshus means permission. Permission to attack the Jewish people. Now that's an odd term to use. It's an odd term to use because the Canaanites don't need, they need a lot more than permission to attack the Jewish people. They need ability to attack the Jewish people. And ability, by, by ability what I, what, what, what I mean is, how are they going to penetrate the protection of the clouds that the jewish people still have because they still had clouds that were there to protect them from their enemies so what is the meaning of the idea that the canaanites heard that the clouds of glory left and therefore they can now attack the jews they knew they still had a problem that the that the jews were invincible that we we can't attack them and that's why they the rashi specifically says that the canaanites felt that this was permission from God, not possibility from God, not access to attack the Jewish people or possibility to attack the Jewish people, but simply permission. Well, why is permission enough? Well, permission is enough because Rashi also tells us that who are these Canaanites? These Canaanites were actually, once again, the nation of Amalek. And we know that the nation of Amalek were a nation that acted very irrationally they were they were they were extremists they were radicals and therefore even if something wasn't realistic or possible they still threw themselves into a mission into this mission of attacking the jewish people that's how much they hated the jewish people so therefore even though the possibility didn't open up for them the very fact that they felt that god wouldn't be opposing them because god took away the clouds of glory which to them was an indication that god is no longer with the jewish people in in, in a full manner that was enough for them to do something to to irrationally attacked the Jewish people. Additionally, we know that just as we know with the original story of the attack of the Amalekites against the Jewish people when we first came out of Egypt, that who did they attack if we had the clouds of glory surrounding us? So we know that there were certain Jews that if they did something inappropriate, the clouds would not protect them because they they did something very inappropriate and they were, so to speak, pushed out of the cloud arena and, and lacked protection. And those were the people that the Amalekites attacked. So likewise, at this time, there may have been such Jews, and those were the people that the Canaanites slash Amalekites felt, oh, now we can attack. Um, as well, we know that a, a classic strategy in warfare is that you want to ambush your enemy and entice them. So the Canaanites also could have felt, the Amalekites and Canaanites could have felt that we're going to start provoking the Jewish so that they come outside of the cloud of glory, and then we can attack them. But they clearly understood that the Jewish people still had this invincible protection because the clouds of protection never left the Jewish people. And that's why Rashi specifically uses the word that the Canaanites felt that they have permission, but not that they are able to have uh, the ability to attack the Jewish people. Now, um, we find that Rashi says that the clouds of glory, when Rashi speaks about the clouds of washing and ironing the clothing of the Jewish people, Rasha refers to those clouds as clouds of glory. Now that would be a contradiction to this whole distinction that we've just laid out. So the Rebbe explains actually that we know that um, the Jewish people had sheep with them, they had wool, they had access to all different types of things. They also traded at different times when they were near civil uh, um, other nations. They traded with them uh, different things. So for the Jewish people to have clothing, um, they, they could have always gotten new clothing. We also know that if the Jewish people wanted to wash the clothing, they had the, uh, a full supply of water from the uh, well of Miriam. So they all had the water. So the fact that the clouds washed and, and pressed their clothing That was simply a convenience uh, matter. It wasn't a necessity matter. And this actually, this key also will lead to the lesson we're going to learn from this entire idea in just a few moments. The distinction between a a need and something which is just a a convenient benefit. Um, So therefore, it was specifically the clouds of glory that offered this to them because it wasn't a need. The clouds, not the clouds of glory, but the clouds were there for necessity. Clouds of glory were not there for the tzatzik, but to glorify the Jewish people. And one of the ways you glorify someone is when you give them something that they don't need. It's something that would just be an added benefit, a bonus. It was simply a luxury. So now, if the water returned in the merit of Moshe, why in fact didn't the clouds of glory return in the merit of Moshe? Ah, so here we get to a very essential point. You see, the clouds of glory... Um, were given to the Jewish people in the merit of Aaron. What does that mean when we say that something shows up for the Jewish people in the merit of Aaron? That means that Aaron was a was a righteous man. He was a holy man devoted to God. His relationship with, the, with God was sound and primary in his life. And in the merit of that, in the merit of the mere fact that the Jewish people had in their presence such a person, they benefited from the presence of Aaron and the benefit showed up in the form of clouds of glory likewise with Miriam Miriam was a very righteous woman she was a prophetess she was the one who without her Moses would would, would not have been born um, would not have survived being put in the in the Nile um, she was a great great woman so in the fact for, for the fact that the Jewish people had such a great woman in their midst who was such a godly woman who also was so who's, uh, whose relationship with God was so sound, In the merit of her being in their presence, they benefited. And the benefit was a convenient supply of water, which came from a rock. But Moshe, Moshe was was different. Moshe was different. Because what Moshe brought to the Jewish people was not simply a merit. Because Moshe was a great man, the Jewish people benefited. Moshe, and, and I want to emphasize, as the Zohar teaches us, which is not in this talk, but I just want to give it as background. The Zara teaches us that Moshe is the uh, iconic Jewish leader, the leader of the Jewish people. Moshe was the leader of the Jewish people during his generation. And the Zara makes a point of mentioning that during every generation, there is the leader of the Jewish people who has the spirit of Moshe within him um, in every single generation. So the the lessons we learned from Moshe um, replicate themselves um, throughout all of the generations in the in the leader of the the singular leader of every generation. So Moshe was a what we call a raya mehemna, as the Zohar refers to him, a faithful shepherd. A faithful shepherd is concerned about the needs of his flock, and as well-known story with Moshe. where where Hashem saw his care for his flock as a shepherd. And and that was a demonstration of his ability to be a leader for the Jewish people. And he cares about their needs um, whatever they need and whenever they need it. He cares about those needs. So Moshe returned these blessings to the Jewish people not as a merit and not in Moshe's merit, but because Moshe as a leader said the Jewish people need water. So he brought... He, he effectuated that God would bring water back to the Jewish people. He, would, he effectuated the things that the Jewish people needed. And the clouds of glory, the Jewish people didn't need. And Moshe didn't deal with that. Because Moshe was, was bringing them these blessings from a very different place than um, they were brought when, Moshe, when when Aaron and Miriam were living. It wasn't a merit issue where we have this added benefit. It was Moshe looking out for the concerns of the Jewish people. And this is the reason why, after the Jews passed the Jordan, they no longer needed water. And that's why after Moshe passed away, the water stopped flowing from the rock. Why did it stop flowing from the rock? Because they no longer needed it. While we also see that the manna stopped falling from heaven on the seventh day of Adar, which is the day that Moshe passed away. However, we're taught that even though under ordinary circumstances during the 40 years, if someone ever left their manna overnight for the next day, it would be spoiled. But the Jewish people gathered a supply of manna on the seventh day of and That lasted for them until the 16th day of Nisan, which is a little bit over a month, almost uh, about uh, 40 days it lasted for them. Why did it last for them? Because Moshe effectuated that the Jewish people still need a supply of food. Once once they were already near the land of Israel, they no longer needed that. And so therefore he effectuated that they have their needs because a leader cares about the needs of his people. There's nothing that uh, that a leader cares about more. And this begins showing us the lesson that we learn about a Nasi Yisrael, which is the leader of the Jewish people. The Nasi Yisrael in every generation even after their passing, as we see from Moshe with the manna, their influence doesn't stop. It may become less apparent in association between the leader and their influence, but their influence doesn't stop. They continue to care for the needs of the Jewish people, just like the manna um, that stopped falling from heaven. So it seemed like they, you know, that, that they, they, the blessing stopped. But it actually didn't stop. Moshe arranged that they would still have man, even though it was no longer falling from heaven every day, that they would still have what they needed. So suddenly you don't see the clear blessing directly coming from heaven. But if one, someone just pays close attention, and, and as the Rebbe is trying to uh, enlighten us to be aware of the fact that the reason why the Jewish people had something to eat until they got to the land of Israel, was the man to eat, was, was because of Moshe and is concerned for the needs of the Jewish people, because a Jewish leader continues to care for the needs of the Jewish people even after he has passed away. And this is what the Friedrich Rebbe said on the first yard site of the passing of his father, the Rebbe Rashab, the fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe. So the sixth Rebbe, the Friedrich Rebbe, said this, on the first yard site of the passing of his father, the fifth Rebbe, that... that a a Nasi Yisrael, a leader of the Jewish people, will never separate from his flock. He's eternally connected to to his flock. And also, um, their their work that they did, the, the, the impact that they had while they were living, continues on, and we continue to benefit from it even after their passing. As we can see, and and fascinatingly, by 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 divine providence, um, this portion of Chukas is the portion we read the Shabbos before we um, we celebrate the Hasidic holiday of Yud Beis and Yud Gimel Tamaz, the 12th and 13th day of Tamaz, which was the day um, were, were the days that the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe was uh, entirely released from the um, the, the Russian um, regime. Which almost who almost which which almost who almost killed him uh, for his spreading of Judaism in Russia, and then they finally released him entirely on the twelfth and thirteenth day of Thomas, which is a day of, of redemption, uh, of a celebration of redemption, um, because of that event, that the effect that the Friederker Rebbe that the previous Rebbe had the Rebbe explains in Russia of spreading uh, Yiddishkeit still has an impact three generations later. We meet people today who are. Um, who are fully engaged Jewish people, simply because of the efforts that the Friedrich Rebbe made. But even more so, the, the, the very um, way that the previous Rebbe conducted himself during that entire time, which is very fascinating and worth, worthwhile reading. There are books that, uh, um, because the previous Rebbe himself documented in great detail, in, in um, a, a, as a very gifted writer, the Friedrich Rebbe wrote very graphically, uh, about his uh, about his experiences being imprisoned um, and tortured and, and almost killed and then being released, um, that story itself today inspires Jews who are uh, um, who are do, are not familiar with Yiddishkeit, and through um, hearing of this uh, um, uh, of everything that the freedom we went through, it awakens them and inspires them to a level of teshuva of returning to God. So we can see how this impact continues and through using through every one of us using this these auspicious days of the 12th and 13th day of Thomas, to strengthen and spread yiddishkeit which is um, what that entire day is associated with and including and specifically spreading the teachings of hasidus which we know that the Balshamtov, when the Balshamtov um he once had um um, as, as as the great mystic that he was, there were times that his soul would enter into a very um, elevated state where he would he he would have access um, to realms which are beyond the common person. And once, when his uh, when his soul uh, ascended to 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 levels and realms uh, which are beyond us, he was in a heavenly realm and he saw the chamber of Mashiach, is what it's referred to. And in this chamber of Mashiach, he he asked Mashiach, When is our Master going to come? When is Mashiach going to come and usher in the Messianic era? And Mashiach responded to him, When you will spread the wellsprings of the Hasidic teachings throughout the entire world. So surely through our efforts in, in classes like these, in sharing them with others, and... Um, and, and spreading the Hasidic teachings, we will merit speedily. And even before we experience the 12th and 13th day of Thomas, we will experience Qasimar the coming of Mashiach. Thank you for participating.